0: Almighty God, we give you the glory for another Lord's Day, a day that you've blessed us to be able to see so that we can serve and glorify your name. Father, we pray that you will bless us with good understanding as we study one of the great chapters in your scriptures. We pray, Father, that you will bless this study, allow it to encourage us, and draw us closer to you and your Son. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hello, my dear friends. It's good to see you on this Lord's Day. It's good to be able to stand before you in this video to teach the Word of God. In this video, we are going to give an overview of one of the great chapters of faith in the entire Bible. It is often called a chapter about the heroes of faith the honor roll of faith, the hall of faith. This is a chapter that is called the hall of faith or the heroes of faith or the honor roll of faith because it contains a list of people who in Bible times pleased God and they walked with God because they lived by faith. This is a chapter about faith. And how to really be able to please God on any level at all, we must have faith. We're going to talk about the hall of faith in this video. And the great thing about this chapter, Hebrews 11, is all the people who are mentioned here. And there are a lot of people mentioned in this chapter. And, and, and we got to understand that, that none of these people, none of these people who are mentioned were super Christians, They're not super disciples, super Christians. They don't have superpowers. No, no, these are just ordinary people. One of the most encouraging things about this, this chapter is it contains a list of people who were just regular people, ordinary people, regular human beings, just like you and I. And yet they achieved great things and they were able to please God at a very high level because they had faith. These are just ordinary people who had great faith in God and they pleased God by their faith. And the point is, we can do that as well. We can be just like these people if we walk by faith. These are regular people. And we're going to study them in this lesson. But before we dive into Hebrews 11, let's just make sure we're on the same page. Let's make sure that we understand the context of what's going on in the book so far. Remember, in the first seven chapters of Hebrews, the first seven chapters of Hebrews, we we learn about the superiority of Jesus we learn that Jesus is superior to everything that is found under the Old Testament system. He is superior to the prophets. He is superior to angels, to Moses, to Joshua, to Aaron, and any other high priest or priest of Israel. The first seven chapters of Hebrews are designed to talk about the superiority of Jesus And then in chapter 8 and going through chapter 10, the focus then goes from talking about the superiority of Jesus to talking about the superiority of his covenant. You see, if Jesus is superior to everything found under the old system, then naturally his covenant would be superior to the old covenant. Chapters 1 through 7 talk about the superiority of Jesus. Chapters 8 through 10 talk about the superiority of his covenant. The covenant that Jesus instituted, the new covenant, is superior to the old covenant because in chapter 8 we saw that the new covenant contains better promises. In chapter 9 we saw that the new covenant has a better sanctuary. Our high priest Jesus ministers in a better sanctuary, a heavenly sanctuary. And then in chapter 10, we see that our high priest, our savior offered a better sacrifice than those sacrifices found under the old covenant. Better promises, better sanctuary, better sacrifices. And as far as the sanctuary goes, let's talk about that just a little bit in in our study. I want to show you um, a diagram or a picture on the slide here, of the earthly sanctuary that is mentioned throughout the Old Testament, the tabernacle, the portable sanctuary that would later become a permanent sanctuary when we refer to the the temple that would be in Jerusalem. As you can see here, we have a a diagram of the tabernacle, the the Old Testament tabernacle that Israel worshipped in, As you can see here on the slide, it was surrounded by a a curtain. It was like a a portable tent. It was surrounded by a, a big curtain. And once you entered the curtain, the first area there was the court, the courtyard, the court of the tabernacle. And in the court of the tabernacle, you had the area where the sacrifices were offered, they were offered in the courtyard area. The sacrifices were offered for the forgiveness of sins. And then you had the brazen labor, which is where the priests would wash before they would enter into the tabernacle itself. And so once you entered the curtain, the entrance curtain, you had the courtyard. And in the courtyard, you would have sacrifices offered and you would have an area where the priests would wash before they would then enter the holy place. And by the way, that is a lot we could say about that. That would actually be symbolic for us having to wash, have our sins washed away through baptism before we enter into a relationship with God. That's that's another study, though. It's a lot we could say about what, what all of this represents, because all of this ultimately represents things that would take place under the new covenant. But after the priests washed, they would then enter into the tabernacle itself. And in the tabernacle, you had two different areas. The first area is the holy place. The holy place. In the holy place, all the priests would would enter into here, and you would have the altar of incense, you would have the lampstand, you would have the table of showbread. All of these were inside the holy place, the first area of the tabernacle. Now, behind another curtain, once you go into the holy place, there's then another curtain there, and it separated the holy place from the most holy place. And in the most holy place, you had the Ark of the Covenant, and you had cherubim, uh, but... The most important element or the most important item was the Ark of the Covenant. And inside, behind the veil, which was the holy, most holy place behind that area or in that area, you would only have one priest who would go into that area one time a year. And it was the high priest. The high priest would go behind the veil. He would go behind the curtain. He would enter into the most holy place on the Day of Atonement. And on the Day of Atonement, he would offer a sacrifice for the forgiveness of his sins, and then he would also offer a sacrifice for the sins of Israel. That would take place one day a year on the Day of Atonement. And so I just wanted to show you this because in a previous video, I kind of just mentioned it, but I think it's better if you have a picture to look at so you can get a, a real visual of this in your mind. You have... The courtyard of the court area of the tabernacle where the sacrifices are offered, where the priests wash. You then enter into the tabernacle itself into the holy place where you have the altar of incense, the lampstand, the table of showbread. This is where the priests minister. And then behind another curtain is the most holy place where the high priest goes in once a year to offer sacrifices for his sins and the sins of the people. Now, all of this, ultimately, according to what we studied, was a shadow. Everything found here, and this is the point I want you to get from this, everything found with the earthly sanctuary, all of these elements of worship were merely a shadow of the things that would occur under the new covenant. They were merely a shadow of what would be provided later on through the Messiah Jesus Christ. And there's a lot of examples we could give to prove that. We don't have time for that in this video. But just understand that this earthly sanctuary was merely designed to represent or be a shadow of what the Messiah would do later in the heavenly sanctuary under the new covenant for God's people today. And So there's that visual for the tabernacle. I hope some of that makes sense. And I hope you can kind of already see some of the parallels between the earthly sanctuary and the spiritual sanctuary. Now, let's say uh, something about the better sacrifice very quickly. Uh, One of the main things, again, about this this earthly sanctuary system was it wasn't designed by God to last forever. It wasn't designed to be a final religion for his people. And, And that is especially true when it comes to the sacrifices, the animal sacrifices that were offered Uh, in the court of the tabernacle. In chapter 10, the writer makes the point that as Christians, we have a better sacrifice under the new covenant than Israel did under the old covenant. Under the old covenant, they had to offer up animals, animal sacrifices, but we don't have to do that because Jesus is the Lamb of God that has saved us from our sins. And so our sacrifice through Jesus, our Lamb of God, Jesus, he's a better sacrifice for two reasons, the writer points out. One, because unlike the animal sacrifices that had had to be offered every year, every month, every week, every day, Jesus was offered one time for all time. One time for all time. He didn't have to continually offer himself for us to receive forgiveness. When he offered himself at Calvary, That made the road to heaven wide open, and now we can all receive forgiveness, we can all be redeemed if we submit ourselves to God and are washed by his blood through baptism. Jesus' sacrifice is so superior, it is so sufficient, that it is capable of offering forgiveness of sins for those who live after the cross and also those who live faithful to God before the cross. He was offered one time for all time, unlike the animal sacrifices. And then secondly, another reason why his sacrifice is superior is because through it, we can receive true forgiveness from God. The Hebrew writer makes the point in chapter 10 that it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to offer forgiveness of sins. But that's not true when it comes to the case of Jesus. Through Jesus' blood, we can receive true forgiveness from God. The penalty or the debt for our sins has been fully paid, and we can enter into a relationship with God. And so the first 10 chapters of Hebrews deal with the superiority of Christ and the superiority of his covenant. Now, how should we respond to that? How should we respond to the sacrifice of Jesus at Calvary? Well, that brings us to chapter 11. The top way to respond to... The sacrifice of Jesus is to live by faith, to walk by faith, to walk in trust and confidence in him, to live a life as faithful to him as possible and never give up. That is what chapter 11 is about. And so let's read a few verses here. And let me just say this before I read these verses, for those of you who are, who have taught this, this book before, you know that this is a loaded chapter. You know that. You know that a Bible class teacher could easily spend an entire year teaching from this one chapter and, and, and gleaning so many lessons from it. We're not going to be able to do that over the next 30 minutes. The point of these videos, again, is not to go into a whole lot of detail on every part of every verse. Instead, it's just to give a brief overview so that you can at least have the big picture of what's going on and and hopefully can help you in your studies as you continue to look at this on your own own in the days ahead. So I just wanna give the big picture of what's going on here. I'm sorry I can't go into a lot of detail. I don't want these videos to be extremely long. And so we're just gonna look at the big picture of what's going on here, and see what lessons we can learn, okay? Let's start with verse 1, Hebrews 11 and verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction or the evidence of things not seen. For by it, men of old gain approval. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. Now, look at verse 6. Just drop down to verse 6 with me. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, or it is impossible to please God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. I want to focus on these four verses right now as we try to break this chapter down. I want you to notice how in these verses we just read, the writer really emphasizes two important things. First, he gives us a great definition of faith. We have a great definition of faith. We learn exactly what faith is. Notice how, according to verse number one, the Hebrew writer says that faith, Bible faith, is believing and trusting in things, things that the Bible talks about, that we have not seen it is when we believe and trust in things that we have not seen with our own eyes, but it does not believe it does not mean believing and trusting in the things that we have not seen blindly. It does not mean believing and trusting in the things that the Bible speaks of. Blindly. Instead, it means believing and trusting in things based on evidence. Evidence. And then what he said in verse number one, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction, some of your translations say the evidence of things not seen. Notice how God says himself that Bible faith is not blind faith. It is not faith that is a faith where where you just believe in something because you hope it's true or you want it to be true. No, Bible faith is faith based on evidence. It is based on evidence. And and someone says, what's the evidence? What is the evidence that God is real? You haven't seen God. What is the evidence that heaven is real? What is the evidence that God made the world? What is the evidence that the, the, the flood of Noah's day occurred and Jonah really spent three days in the belly of a fish? We haven't seen any of those things. And so what evidence do we have to have legitimate faith that those things really happened? Well, ultimately, the evidence we've been given To believe in the things we have not seen is found in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, when we carefully examine the fact that Jesus did die and he was buried, but three days later he came out of a tomb tomb, and he was seen all over the place, when we carefully consider that evidence and when we are sold on that evidence now, we have the evidence we need to have faith in everything else the Bible talks about. If Jesus really came out of the tomb, then that means that everything else in the Bible has to be true. That means that God is real. That means that God really did create the world in six literal days. That really means that the exodus really did take place. And God did part the Red Sea. That means that the flood of Noah's day took place. And Jonah really did. Jonah really did spend three days in the belly of a fish. And Jesus is really going to come back one day and the world is going to be destroyed. You see, we've never seen any of these things in our lives as Christians, but we believe in them. We have faith in them. And the reason why we believe and have faith in these things, even though we haven't seen them, is because of the evidence. It's not just because we hope these things are true. It's not just because we want these things to be true. No, for me as a Christian, I believe in all these incredible things because Jesus came out of the tomb. If he's just some godless heathen man, he's not going to be raised from the dead. But because he came out of that tomb, I can trust that everything he ever said and taught and claimed And everything else found in the Bible that he promotes, it happened. It really happened. And so we see faith is believing and trusting things that we haven't seen based on evidence. But then secondly, we also see in these verses that faith is necessary to please God. If we want to please God on any level at all, we got to have faith. We see that throughout this text. Verse 2, after giving a definition of faith, he says that by it, men of old gained approval. Who are the men of old? Well, the men of old there represent not just the people who lived in the times of the Old Testament, but more specifically, it represents the people he's going to mention here in this chapter. All of these people that are listening in this chapter gained approval with God because of faith. That's the point. In verse 3, he then says it's by faith that we've come to understand that the world was made and prepared by the word of God. Even though we didn't see the creation, we still have faith that it occurred. We believe in the unseen. And then in verse 6, he just emphasizes the point further when he says without faith, it is impossible to please God. You can't please God in your life at all. Without faith, you just can't do it. And then he he goes on to say, again, what that kind of faith involves. He says it involves, if you want to have the kind of faith that pleases God, you must believe in God. You got to believe God is real. You got to believe that God really exists. You got to believe Jesus was God when he was on this earth because he claimed to be God and he proved that he was God, God's son, when he was raised from the dead you got to believe that God is real. And then secondly, you got to believe that God is faithful. you got to believe that God is fully capable of rewarding you with a home in heaven if you walk by faith. The Hebrew writer says if you want to really please God, then you must believe that God is real and you must believe in the faithfulness of God. You must believe that God is capable of rewarding you when you walk with him. You can't please God if you just believe in him but don't have confidence that he's capable of fulfilling his promises. You got to believe in him, but you also have to believe in his faithfulness, that he never makes a promise that that he doesn't keep. Verse four, and this is going to be lengthy, but I can't say it any better than the Holy Spirit. After telling us what Bible faith is, here's the list. You ready? By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he's dead, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. And he was not found because God took him, for he attained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing the God. And without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. By faith Noah being warned by God about things not yet seen, and in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out, and not knowing where he was going, by faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself received the ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, there was born even of one man, and him as good as dead at that, as many descendants, as the stars of heaven in number, and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. All of these died in faith without receiving the promises. But having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for those who say such things make it clear that they're seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, and Isaac, your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, even regarding things to come. By faith, Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of his sons, of bless each of the sons of Joseph in worship, leaning in worship, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, so that he who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land. And the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she welcomed the spies in peace. So much there. So much there. So little time. But let me just give you four observations from this. Okay? Four observations. First, and this is just a great, the greatest list, the greatest list found in the Bible. And all of these people, you can read about them in the Old Testament. These are all people that you can read about in the Old Testament. Abel, one of the sons of Adam and Eve. Enoch, a man who walked with God, and he didn't taste death. God took him. There's only one other person in the Bible we can read about who who had a similar fate, and it was Elijah the prophet, where Elijah was taken up in a whirlwind. These were men that God then allowed to die like we're going to die. God just took them. Enoch walked with God. Verse number 7, and I apologize for leaving this off with a slide. It was was my mistake. But Noah, Noah's mentioned in verse 7, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, the people of Israel, Rahab, all of these people were real people. They really walked on this earth. These are not mythical people. These are not superheroes like in the Marvel Universe. These are real people who really walked on this earth and they were ordinary people. They bled, they had flesh. They had strengths, they had weaknesses, they had jobs, they had families, they had friends. These are real people, ordinary people, but they lived by faith. That's the point. What separated them from the rest of the world was not that they were some mutants or superheroes, No, they lived by faith. They pleased God by faith. And that is why, my dear friends, it is so important that we study the Old Testament Look, if you don't know your Old Testament well, if you haven't studied your Old Testament, then I'm sorry, you're not going to be able to appreciate the people mentioned on this list. These are people found in the Old Testament. But if, if you know your Old Testament somewhat well, then, then you know exactly why the Hebrew writer is mentioning these people. You know that throughout the Old Testament, over and over again, the Holy Spirit makes it clear that these people are faithful to God. They loved God. They walked with God, and they walked by faith in God. These are people of faith. Secondly, when it came to their faith, it was more than just mental assent. It was more than just belief or just claiming to love God and to follow God. No, from this text, the Hebrew writer makes it very clear that their faith not only included belief, but it also included action. It also included obedience. They believed God and they obeyed God. They believed God and they walked with God. They took action. They did what God told them to do. Abel offered to God a better sacrifice. That's action, he did it by faith. Enoch was pleasing to God. The book of Genesis says he walked with God. That's action. Noah, that's not on the slide, but that's verse 7. Noah, by faith, prepared an ark. That's action, obedience. Abraham obeyed God by going out from Ur of the Chaldeans and going to a country that he had never been before. And not only did he go to that country, but he lived as an alien in that country. And Sarah, she considered God faithful who had promised to give her a son in her old age, even though she was barren. And Abraham offered action. He offered up Isaac to God. And Esau blessed Jacob. I mean, Isaac blessed Esau and Jacob. And Jacob blessed each of his sons before he died and prophesied over them. He knew that these sons were going to be the beginning of a great nation. He had confidence that God was going to fulfill that promise and make from his sons a great nation, even though he was going to die and not get to see it. And Joseph gave orders concerning his bones. He knew that the Israelites would one day leave Egypt. And he said, take my bones with you. And Moses refused to be called Pharaoh's daughter. And he left Egypt, not afraid of Pharaoh. When he led Israel out of Egypt, he wasn't afraid of Pharaoh. And he kept the Passover. He did what God said to do so that the destroyer would not kill the firstborns of of the Israelites. And Israel passed through the Red Sea. And they encircled the walls of Jericho. And Rahab welcomed the spies. All of these words I have highlighted are action words. There are words that show us that these people didn't just believe in God, but they obeyed God. They did something. That's Bible faith, my friends. It's not just I believe in God and I'll be saved. No, it's I believe God and I'm going to obey God. I'm going to do something to demonstrate my loyalty to God. That's what these people did. That's Bible faith. And their faith also included trust. You see, in addition to being obedient to God, these people trusted God. Do you see that? As Noah's hammering away at that ark, as he's hammering away at that ark for about 100 years, he's trusting that God is going to send that flood at some point. If he didn't trust God, he wouldn't have spent 100 years of his life building an ark. He trusted that God was going to send a flood, a global flood. And Joseph trusted that that Israel was really going to leave Egypt one day as free people. That's why he said, take my bones. He trusted God's promise. And Moses trusted God. That's why he was willing to, to give up being the son of Pharaoh's daughter to suffer with God's people. He trusted that if I suffer with God's people, God's going to reward me Maybe not with earthly riches. He's going to give me spiritual riches. He's going to give me heavenly riches. Verse 26 says that he was looking for for greater riches. He was looking to the reward, the spiritual reward. He trusted God. He trusted God was going to bless him. As Israel passed through the Red Sea, they trusted God. You got to have faith and trust. You got to have trust to go through a a, a sea that has been parted, you're walking through it. At any point, if it collapses, you're all going to drown. They had to trust God as they walked through that Red Sea, that parted Red Sea. And Israel had to trust God as they encircled the walls of Jericho, and the people are probably looking at them laughing. They're encircling the city of Jericho for seven days because they trusted that on the seventh day, The walls were going to come tumbling down. They trusted God. And Rahab, the harlot, she trusted God. That's why she hid the spies. She knew that if she took care of God's people, she would be rewarded. And she was rewarded. Her life was spared. And then probably the most interesting thing here is in verses 13 through 16. The things that are said about Abraham. Notice how when it came to Abraham and what's said in those verses, we see exactly what motivated Abraham to do all the things he did. The reason why he left Ur of the Chaldeans, his own country, to go and live as an alien in a country that wasn't his own, was because according to what what the writer says here, it says when you look at verse 13, and this is in the context of Abraham and Sarah, It says they saw them. They welcomed them, the promises of God. It says, verse 14, it says they were seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, Ur of the Chaldeans, they would have returned to it. They could have went back to Ur of the Chaldeans at any time.
1: But as it is, they desired a better country, a heavenly country. Verse number 10 says that Abraham was looking for a city whose architect and builder is God. What does that tell you? It tells you that Abraham's main motivation and everything he did was the spiritual country. It was heaven. He's thinking about not
0: receiving some great Earthly land, although his descendants would get that, he wouldn't get it. His descendants would. That wasn't what motivated Abraham. The earthly city of Jerusalem, the earthly land of Israel, that's not what motivated Abraham. His main motivation was getting to heaven, being with God, the heavenly country, the city that's built by God himself. That was his main motivation. That's why he endured so much. That's why he did all the things he did, left his own country to go live as an alien in Canaan. He did all those things because he trusted in God's promises. He trusted that there was something better waiting for him after this life. In verses 17 through 19, Abraham was mentioned again. And we see again, he trusted God. He trusted God so much that even though he waited 25 years to receive Isaac, he was was 100 years old when Isaac was born. He was 75 years old when God first promised to give him Isaac. Sarah was 65 years old when God first made her that promise. She was 90 when Isaac was finally born, when God opened her womb up. And even though they waited so long to receive Isaac, the son who would be the beginning of a great nation, the nation of Israel, when God told him to go to Mount Moriah and kill Isaac, he was going to do it without any hesitation because he trusted God. He didn't say, well, God, you, you made me wait this long to get Isaac and you're asking me to kill him? Why would you make me the promise in the first place if you were going to have me kill him? He didn't question God's commandment. He trusted God, particularly he trusted that even... When he did kill Isaac, and as far as he was concerned, Isaac was good as dead. He was going to kill Isaac, but he trusted that even if he, even if he was going to kill Isaac, even if he had to kill Isaac, God had the power to raise him from the dead and give him back to him. He still trusted that God was going to work it all out. In fact, if you study his story carefully, that story carefully in the book of Genesis, he even told the men who had traveled with him and Isaac to Mount Moriah,
1: he told them, you wait right here because we, we're going to come back. He trusted God. Bible faith is faith that believes in God. And it trusts in trusting God. And it obeys God. That's the point, okay? And then another thing, we see here Bible faith. It involves conviction. Conviction. Notice again,
0: verse 13. All of these died in faith. And again, we're talking about Abraham and Sarah here in the context. Without receiving the promises. What promises? They had a whole video on it. The three promises that Abraham. That's, those promises are so important, I, I can't emphasize it enough. The whole Bible is based around those promises. A great nation would come from Abraham and Sarah, the nation of Israel. This nation will receive a great land, the land of Canaan. And through that nation, the Messiah was going to come into the world and save people from their sins. Abraham and Sarah died without receiving those promises. God made them those promises, but they didn't get to live and experience any of them. They didn't get to live and see any of them be fulfilled. By the time Israel becomes a great nation in Egypt, Abraham had been dead for hundreds of years. But, verse 13 says, having seen them, they still, even though they didn't see them fulfilled, they still saw them from afar from a off. And they welcomed them. They welcomed them from a distance. The idea there is that even though they wouldn't live to see them fulfilled, they trusted they were going to be fulfilled. <laughs> As far as they were concerned, they were already fulfilled because God is faithful. They they had full conviction that God was going to do what he said, even though they, they, they probably weren't going to live to see it. They were fully convinced in the promises of God. Bottom line, faith is absolutely necessary, my dear friends. Belief and trust and conviction and obedience to God is absolutely necessary since the beginning of time. Only those who have faith, Bible faith, have truly pleased God. And for those who may wonder, why is the Hebrew writer even talking about this? Well, remember, these Hebrew Christians, they're, they're thinking about giving up their faith at this time. They're thinking about leaving Jesus, leaving the superior for the inferior. And the Hebrew writer mentions all these people to let them know you don't need to do that because if you do that, if you give up on your faith in Christ, You're not going to be like these people. These people walked in faith and they finished in faith. And so verses 32 through 40, very quickly we're going to be done. This is just so much, and I appreciate you bearing with me. Verse 32, what more should I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness remained strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, yet also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn into two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world is not worthy, wandered in deserts and mountains and caves and, and holes in the ground. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us as Christians so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. The bottom line of those verses is this. These are other people <laughs> who walk by faith. Verses 32 and going down to about verse number, going to verse 38. These are other people who walk by faith. Hebrew writer said, if I had more time, I could talk to you about Gideon. The man who wiped out an entire army of people with just 300 men in the time of the judges. Barak, Samson, Jephthah, King David,
1: Samuel, the prophets. All these people walk by faith also. They're also included in the hall of faith. They did
0: wonderful things by faith. And they also received ill treatment because of faith. In addition to conquering kingdoms, performing acts of righteousness, obtaining promises, shutting the mouths of lions, that reminds me of Daniel, doesn't it? Quench the power of fire, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel 4. Escape this edge of the sword, being made made strong when they were weak, being mighty in war, men like David, putting foreign armies to flight like Deborah did in Judges 4. Women receiving back their dead by resurrection. We can read about that taking place in the time of Elijah and Elisha. We can read about that taking place in the ministry of Jesus. People who had faith receiving their dead back. In addition to doing all these great things by faith, these people also received mockings. They also were tortured,
1: beaten, stoned, cut in half, fed to animals, cast out of
0: society, wandered in remote areas. These people, even though they accomplished great things by faith and they pleased God by faith, they also suffered because of their faith. They suffered too. And that was especially important for these Christians to hear because they were suffering for their faith. And the point is, the people of old who pleased God by faith, they didn't give up even though they started suffering because of their faith. These people walked by faith and they suffered immensely because they walked by faith. But the world wasn't worthy of them. The world wasn't worthy of these people, the Hebrew writer says. They weren't worthy of these people. I love that. These people were not people of the world, these were heaven bound people, people that the world just wasn't worthy of. And they didn't receive what was promised, he says. He says they didn't even receive what was promised. The end of verse 39. What was the promise?
1: What did they not receive that was promised? That third promise made to Abraham.
0: That's what he's talking about. That promise that a Messiah was going to come into the world and make it so that all people can receive forgiveness from God. They didn't live to see that. Now do you see why those three promises are so important? That It is mentioned throughout the scripture. They didn't receive that promise of Genesis 12 and verse 3. They didn't receive the promise of the Messiah. They knew it. They knew of it. They believed in it. But they didn't get to live to receive the, ble- the benefit of it. Unlike us. He says we have. We have. We do get to see how it all connects together. We get, we get to ex- to make the, all the, connect all the dots, see God's full plan that has come to fruition. We understand it all now because we got the full word of God. We understand how the promises all connect. We've seen God. We can read about God developing the nation of Israel. We can read about how he dealt with them on the land of Israel. And we can also receive the benefits of the cross if we've been baptized for the remission of our sins. These people who lived in past times in the time of the Old Testament They believed that God was going to bring a Messiah, but they died before it
1: was accomplished. We have something better. We get to see how it all connects together. We get to see how God
0: completed his full plan through his son. And the point is, why throw that away? Why throw away something where you have the complete will of God laid out to you and you can receive the full benefits of that? to go back to a system where you didn't have that. The Hebrew writer is saying that people like Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, they would have given both of their arms to be able
1: to understand the things that we understand today. So walk by faith. Walk by faith.
0: So much I could say about that. And I apologize if I didn't, if I missed this or missed that. I know some of you are great Bible students, and you can say, what about this or what about that? I get it, but look, I got a family. I need to go home at some point, so I can't be here for a full week straight. Okay, I got to sleep at some point too. So just take away, walk by faith. Learn from the people of old who gained approval with God because they walked by faith. Live by faith, walk by faith, never throw away your faith. Keep your eyes focused on the heavenly country like Abraham did. Because God will give that to you if you continue on.
1: We'll we'll continue with Hebrews chapter 12 on Wednesday. Thank you.